Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Hello, everyone. Jason here. Today's guest is Diego Saez Gill. Diego is the co-founder and CEO of Pachama. I thought this was a fun episode because I happen to be a small investor in Pachama. That's one reason. The second is that although I've spoken to Diego on the phone, I had never met him in person, which was a real treat. And the third was that I ran eight miles from Sausalito to Diego's office in San Francisco, and I showed up so sweaty, and honestly, I'm surprised that he let me in the door. But we covered a number of things in this episode, including Diego's background as a serial entrepreneur. And we talked about Pachama and what led him to founding the company, the opportunity that he sees, and how he thinks it can be most impactful on the climate fight. We also talked about where Pachama is on the trajectory today, what progress they've made, and where they're going next, as well as the long vision for the company. And we had a great dialogue about climate change overall and how to think about it, how to solve for it, and what kinds of levers can be most impactful. I learned a lot in this episode, and I hope you do as well. Diego, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, while I am a small investor in Pachama, this is actually the first time that we are meeting in person. That's right. Thank you for trusting me without meeting in person. <laughs> well, thank you for allowing me to be a small part of the journey and for the work that you're doing as well. I'm, I'm excited about it. Thank you. Yes, we are excited too. Happy to tell you everything, all the story and, and what we're doing. Awesome. Well, why don't we jump right into it? So what is Pachama? What we're trying to build is a set of tools that can unlock the full potential of forest and other natural solutions to solve climate change. Mm -hmm. So forests have been for billions of years capturing carbon from the atmosphere. They are the carbon capturing tool that Mother Earth has given us. Mm -hmm. And today, not only we are not harnessing the potential of 2 billion hectares of land that could be reforested, but we're actually deforesting the tropical forest, which capture billions of tons of CO2 every year. Why are we doing that? Because we live in an economic system that doesn't give its right value to the services that the forest provide from an environmental perspective. So instead, what we're doing is we're cutting down the forest to do cattle ranching to feed hamburgers to people. So I, yes, yesterday, as you know, I, I interviewed Pat Brown from Impossible Foods. Right. He said that 45% of all of the earth's land is used for grazing cattle. Yeah, in a very inefficient way of providing calories and proteins to humans. So the reason for that is because the accounting system of the companies that are producing that food don't consider the cost that they are actually incurring on destroying the forest and destroying the machines that we have to capture carbon from the atmosphere. So what we're trying to do is to unlock the full potential of that solution. And the way we're doing it is by helping the carbon credit market that can finance reforestation and forest conservation at scale work effectively. And in that sense, what we're doing is we're building technologies that help measure and monitor how much carbon a forest captures 
using satellite images and machine learning algorithms that analyze that satellite images and other forms of data like LIDAR data and drone images capture of the forest. We analyze all that and we can tell you how much carbon is standing on a forest, how much carbon the forest captures every year. And with that, hopefully helping issue carbon credits in a faster, cheaper, and more reliable way. And then the second part of it is to help connect those forest owners that are doing the right thing and are obtaining those carbon certificates with the companies that need or want to offset their carbon emissions through the purchase of carbon credits. That market exists today and has existed for many years, but it's incredibly inefficient. The tools are very manual. There's a bunch of intermediaries along the way, a lot of confusion of how it works. And what we want to provide is hopefully tools that make the market more efficient for all the players involved. And in doing so, help drive billions of dollars to reforesting and conserving the forest of the planet. What is a carbon credit? So there is a system proposed by the United Nations that makes a lot of sense, which is this. There is a lot of activities that cannot be decarbonized, that cannot transition fast enough to non-carbon solutions like airplanes, right? We're going to continue having to fly on airplanes that burn CO2. So those activities should offset, should compensate for those emissions by supporting projects that either reduce emissions or recapture carbon from the atmosphere. And the way to do that is through a system of credits in which projects that recapture carbon from atmosphere or reduce emissions can obtain credits that then can be sold to those companies. And then these companies can retire those credits, meaning that they basically take them out of the market, effectively compensating their emissions. That system is a really good way to transition as we transition to a non-carbon economy, which will take decades. In the meantime, it can drive a lot of funding to the solutions to climate change. And in a way, it starts to put a value to the carbon capturing solutions that are needed for the planet. I'm certainly no expert on carbon credits, Mm -hmm. but as I think about the carbon credit market, if you can measure properly that the emissions that you do are going to be at least as offset one-to-one by the credits that you're purchasing, then I could see how that can maintain equilibrium, at least for that unit of emissions. But that presumes that you can measure properly and that there's no funny business. So what's the current state of that market? Can you trust these credits? There are two parts of the equation. In one hand, the companies that want to offset their emissions need to calculate their carbon footprint. And there are a set of protocols and formulas to calculate your carbon footprint. For certain companies, it's easier. For others, it's harder. But it's super important that you do good accounting there. And today, it's still not super easy to do it. And there are some startups that are working on making it easier. Any that are doing it well or that you're excited about? There is one that I am excited about called uh, Climate Neutral. It's a California-based startup. And they're coming up with a solution soon. Happy to introduce you to Pete, one of the founders. And we hope to partner with them on providing that tool to the companies that want to calculate how much their footprint is. And Evan, make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. That's the first part of the equation. The second part of the equation is, as you said, the carbon credits have to have integrity, have to have really been issued following a protocol that assures that the project actually has captured that carbon or has reduced those emissions. 
And there are certain criteria like additionality. Is a project actually additional? Would this project have happened regardless of the carbon credits coming to them? In that case, it wouldn't be additional. Is permanent? Is the carbon capture actually going to stay capture on the earth or it's going to come out again, you know, through a burning of something, right? Is the project actually not creating emissions on somewhere else, right, by doing this project? So there are all these criteria that need to be tested and evaluated. And in forest in particular, so forest projects, either reforestation or forest conservation or improved forest management, can obtain carbon credits for the carbon that this forest is going to capture. The problem historically has been that it's difficult to measure a forest. You need to count how many trees are there, what size of the trees, how old the trees are, to be able to estimate how much carbon are they capturing, how much carbon are they going to capture in the future. And to do that, historically, what the certification bodies would do, they will send auditors to the field to measure trees with a tape, literally. And what we do is we say, today we have this wide availability of high-definition satellite images. We have the LiDAR, which is what self-driving cars use to scan their environments. Uh-huh. We can use that to scan forest. And with that, we can measure very precisely how much carbon is there on the forest and how much carbon will be in the future with predictive models. And you mentioned drones before. Is that one small piece of what you're doing on the certification side, or is that a big piece of the story? I know that all of those are buzzwords that sometimes are abused by startups that actually are not doing that. But we did get very excited about the convergence of these four technologies that are advancing exponentially. One of them is satellite images. You have all these companies like Planet Labs, like Capella, like Satellogic, that are launching nanosatellites to space with high-definition cameras. And that is creating an explosion of remote sensing data. The second one is drones. Drones, a few years ago, didn't work really well. And today you have these drones that can actually scan very large areas, that can recharge themselves. And these technologies advancing exponentially. Number three, LiDAR. LiDAR, again, a few years ago, they were like giant devices that costed tens of thousands of dollars. Now you can buy a LiDAR for $700 and it's the size of a can of beer, right? And then number four, deep learning algorithms, algorithms that Google and Facebook have developed to analyze images and to models that train themselves that can analyze images in this case of forest and come out with insights. Those four technologies are advancing exponentially and the conversions of them allow for a new way of verifying this type of projects. And yes, we're utilizing all of them. We don't see ourselves as actually running the drones and going to the field with drones, but we want to partner with companies that are doing that. And today we're sourcing images from different sources. And we think it's a lot more efficient to send a drone operator to a forest than to send a crew of 10 foresters that have to go and measure the trees. And if I'm a landowner, how am I getting my land certified for reforestation without Pachama? And then what does my experience look like with Pachama? Today, one of the problems of the market is that it's really expensive to go through those certification processes. Getting the first auditing is already tens of thousands of dollars. The, the entire process sometimes goes between a hundred and three hundred thousand dollars. In South America, in the Amazon basin, where we need the most this type of certifications, it's even more expensive or more difficult to afford, right? Because of currency and the purchasing power of, of landowners there, right? So the protocols that exist today require all these manual verifications of a lot of things. 
And what we hope to do is to help update those protocols to consider remote sensing technologies. So some of these steps can be done remotely, can be done automatized. And those manual steps, who's actually doing those? Is it the landowner themselves or is it a third-party service? There are third-party auditing and verification firms that get engaged by the project developer. The project developer sometimes is not necessarily the landowner, but is a organization that helps the landowner do the preparation for the certification and do the work that they need to do afterward. If it's planting trees or if it's improving the forest management, that's what these different players help the landowner do. Are you a service for those third-party providers or are you a replacement for those third-party providers? Who is your customer? The way that we are starting is you know, we're still in the business model discovery phase, I would say. We want to build these tools. We want to make them useful for the players of the market. We don't want to replace anybody. We just want to build tools that are lacking today whether those tools are going to be contracted by the project developer or by the verification agency or by the certification body or by the buyer, we still don't have total clarity. Mm-hmm. We just want to now prove that remote sensing technology is equally... You just see an inefficient process. Yes. You see an inefficient right. process. It can be more efficient. You're still figuring out, is it going to be better to work with the existing players and give them tools to strip costs out and do things right. faster and more efficiently and more effectively? Yeah. Or are you going to build a new service soup to nuts? That's right. You don't prefer to, but you will if you need to. Yeah. And the second part of it, as I was telling you, is like we want to help. So for a project developer that has gone through all this process, imagine someone in Brazil has taken money to do the certification, has taken one or two years to go through the process. Now they had to find a buyer. And most buyers are in North America or Europe. And how is going to do a landowner in Brazil to find a buyer? So today there are all these intermediary parties. And what we want to do is we want to make it easier to find a buyer and make it easy for a buyer to find a good project. So we're building this platform in which we're going to bring the transparency of remote sensing verification, like a secondary verification if you want. Mm-hmm. And there, there is an easy business model because we can take a commission of the transactions that happen through that platform. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're building these two fronts of tools in one side building verification and monitoring tools, and in the other hand, building this platform for the parties to connect. And so one of the areas that you see inefficiencies is that the companies that need to purchase these offsets don't know where to go or have an inefficient experience to actually find them and make that connection. Same thing with the landowners who have land that is a potential candidate for offsets, and then the certification process itself, there's also inefficiencies. And then there are existing tools that are out there like LiDAR and drones and things like that. And you'll work with the tools that are out there and you'll work with the landowners and you'll work with the companies. Which piece is Pachama taking on? I know the business model is still not there, but what about just from an assets standpoint? Like what's, if you're not doing the sensors and you're not owning the land, what are you doing? We're developing models, we're developing algorithms and training those models with uh, data, LiDAR data, satellite data. Those models can be used then to analyze a particular forest and estimate how much carbon it has, right? So we're building that. And we're also building this marketplace-like platform in which, in one hand, you have forest projects. In the other hand, you will have carbon buyers, and they can meet. And in the future, there might be place for other players as well to meet and connect 
And that's what we're building as well. So the sensors are there, but nobody has pulled them together and built the intelligence to productize that offering in this category. That's right. The data is out there and the tools are out there, but nobody has brought them together to make them work for this market in a productized way. These are things that many universities have been researching this. Uh, so it's been on academia and some companies have been trying to build solutions for the team area industry. No one has productized it to make it work for the forest carbon market. And that's what we're trying to contribute to the market. What's the long vision for Pachama? What does success look like? The long vision, I guess, is our mission is to help restore nature to solve climate change. We think that nature has a big part of the solution to climate change. We just have to help it a little bit. And the vision is that we could be the platform in which these nature-based solutions get analyzed, certified, monitored, and in which we can drive the necessary capital to finance those projects. If we can manage to help drive the billions of dollars that are needed to restore the planet, and with that solving climate change, then we can call success. And so that's an ambitious vision, and obviously it's still early days, but where do you start? What does phase one look like for you? We're in phase zero, I would say. What we're doing right now is we are partnering with forest project developers in North America, in the US, that have gone already through traditional verifications. Mm -hmm. We are analyzing their data and providing this additional layer of transparency to the projects that can help them monitor how the projects are going and can help them get new buyers. And on the other hand, we're talking with companies, mainly here in California, that want to offset their emissions. And there is a growing number of companies that voluntarily decided that they want to take climate action. Sometimes it's because their employees are asking, sometimes their customers are asking, sometimes their founders care deeply about the impact that their companies are having. And what they're doing is they are calculating their carbon footprint and trying to buy carbon offsets. So we're talking to all these companies and we're saying like, hey, buy forest carbon offsets, which by the way, forests not only have the ability to capture carbon, but they also generate a lot of co-benefits like biodiversity, community impacts, water flows that improve the entire ecosystem of the areas in which the projects are developed. So many companies historically have stayed away of forest carbon offsets because they were difficult to measure and monitor. And they went to other solutions like energy efficiency or methane capture. And we're trying to convince them that forest is not only safe solution, but actually the best solution. So phase one is matchmaker, and then you'll get into the actual certification piece in phase two and beyond? I would say that, again, it's like analyzing data and providing this data business intelligence of the forest projects, and then hopefully matchmaking. When you first approached starting this company, did you know that forests specifically were the area that you were going to focus on? Or did you evaluate, was it the offset concept first, and then you went and evaluated different areas? Or how did you get here? It was an interesting journey. And one thing I love about this podcast and what you're doing is that I went through a similar climate journey myself. I wasn't from this world whatsoever. I had built two other technology companies in for the travel industry. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment of personal crisis, if you want, in which I was like, damn, I'm like working really hard to build companies, to be successful, to sure contribute to my customers. But in the meantime, the planet is falling apart. And what can I do to 
make a contribution to solving climate change, to restoring the planet. That moment of crisis, like anyone from Silicon Valley or the broader technology industry, Silicon Valley in spirit, not Silicon Valley in geography. Like it'd be great if more of us could have that moment of crisis. Like we fucking need it. Yes, absolutely. It really bothers me, but no judgment on people's life choices and things like that. But these are some of the smartest minds, right? There's a lot of horsepower in this industry and with exceptions, but it's focused on a lot of vapid shit. I agree. And look, I did it myself. I don't judge anybody because I built an app to book hostels and connect with other travelers. That was what I needed at the time. I was a backpacker and I wanted to build that. But I do think that we should be building more companies that have a positive impact in the planet for real and solving climate change, restoring nature. By the way, I do think it's an enormous economic opportunity as well. If you solve the biggest problem of the 21st century, society will reward you economically and in other ways. So yes, I do hope to see more entrepreneurs having this personal crisis moment, which crisis means clarity sometimes. But now let's get back to your personal crisis moment. So you're working on stuff over here, but you see the planet falling apart over there. And then what? So I decided to take some time off. And during that time off, I did a lot of soul searching. I went to the Amazon rainforest and was super inspired by the beauty of our planet, the nature that we have there. And realized that the Amazon rainforest is the machine that is capturing the most carbon in the planet. And I saw also deforestation happening there. And I also read a lot of books. And I actually put there on my desk two books that were important on my journey. The first one is Earth in Human Hands by a astrobiologist called David Greenspoon, which by the way, you should try to interview him because he's awesome. And in that book, he- I didn't get that for the show notes. (laughs) The second book is Why Forest, Why Now by Francis Sigmor and Jonah Busch, a scientist and an economist that studied forest solutions. But in the first book was actually the one that I had the first aha moment about the potential of forest to recapture carbon. The central idea of the book is we are this species that came out of Gaia, right? Of the interconnected network of organisms that form this planet. And all of a sudden accomplish all this power to modify the planet. Like it or not, we are now in charge of the planet. And we seem to be a very mature species in charge of the planet, but we're getting there, right? And we're conscious, we can talk about it and we can mature hopefully in time before destroying ourselves. So, In that book, he goes through all the things that we should do to put Spaceship Earth in shape so that we can continue the next two billion years or whatever, you know, we have left in this planet, managing the spaceship in a good way, right? Which is, by the way, an idea of uh, back Mr. Fuller and Carl Sagan, you know, all the people of the 60s that have this realization of like, wow, we're like managing this Spaceship Earth. So... In that book, he talks about how reforestation and forest conservation can capture hundreds of gigatons of CO2 from the atmosphere. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew that trees capture carbon, but I didn't know that it can actually be so effective at taking out carbon from the atmosphere. That led me to the second book. In that second book, this scientist and an economist go specifically into studying how tropical forest specifically can be a solution to climate change and what programs are put in place and should be put in place to foster that market. And they talk about the carbon credits market, the UN's Paris Agreement, and so forth. 
So those were sort of like the inspiration for me to start researching. I actually reached out to the writer of the White Forest by now, Frances. She received me in her office in Washington, D.C., another really good person for the podcast. And she gave me a lot of feedback about how the market works, where the inefficiencies are. And that was, you know, sort of like the beginning of like, oh, there's something here in which we can bring technology at the service of making this market work. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, just given that I guess there's some parallels to your journey and mine in this way, and probably to a lot of our listeners as well, is I'm really concerned about the planet and thus I'm here. You're really concerned about the planet and thus you're here. But historically, neither of us had any domain experience in our professional backgrounds, right? And so... Coming in, talking to Gustav, for example, I think from a Y Combinator standpoint, it seems like that domain experience, at least from day zero, not so important, right? But imagine if you're an insider who's been dedicating your whole career to this over multiple decades and the tech bros come in and think they have all the answers. So I guess what's been your approach in terms of navigating that and how have you been received by the people who have spent their career in this area? I think that we will need to solve such a big problem, the biggest challenge of humanity. We will need the collaboration of everyone. We will need the collaboration of the experts, the scientists, and the people who've been analyzing this for decades. And we also need the contribution of the innovators that come with questions. Why, why, why? And why we cannot do things differently? Why we don't use these tools that are right available, that Silicon Valley built to put filters on faces or to make self-driving cars? All these tools can be used at the service of solving climate change. So we will need the collaboration of the naivete of the founders and innovators that Silicon Valley attracts with the expertise and knowledge of the people that have been here for decades. And sure, there are some people that are skeptical about newcomers, but generally most people have been super, super welcoming and they are grateful that more people are coming, bringing again, tech tools to this market. It, that's been my experience. So, of course, my attitude also is of respect. I don't think that entrepreneurs should come with, let's disrupt the climate market. You know what I mean? We need a respectful attitude of like, okay, there's people that have been thinking about this for a long time. Let's listen to them. And then let's question and let's bring new ideas. But let's go with a lot of humbleness into contributing to this. I think that's really important trying to be really thoughtful about how I carry myself coming in as well, because on the one hand, you know, the recipe for insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different outcome. So I think coming in with some fresh eyes and beginner mind, there's a lot of value there. And yeah. and many insiders have told me that. But on the other, you just can't replicate the the wisdom that comes with deep institutional knowledge. And so trying to balance those two things is more art than science. But I think going in, like you said, both with an inquiring mind, but also with a humble soul, right. right? I think is very important. Yeah, go like a kid, you know, like a kid that wants to learn and wants to question why, why, why. And then bring the tools that Silicon Valley has, the playbooks that Silicon Valley has developed on how to scale solutions, how to think on scalability and exponential growth. These are the things that YC is really good at. And it was super helpful for us to get the push of YC of launch and how this is going to be a billion dollar company. These kind of questions that help you think on bigger terms, right? And help you try to push the solutions out of the lab as fast as possible. If anybody's listening and they really dig what you're doing, where do you need help? How can our listeners help you? I think that 
following us on social media, we've been very silent so far because we're still building and we're still learning. But soon, I guess we're going to start talking more publicly about what we're doing and asking for help. We're looking for talented people that want to join us. So check out our careers page. We also don't have you know many job positions listed yet, but reach out to us, reach out info at Pachama. I get this email, so anybody can email me. And if you know of companies that want to participate in offsetting their emissions and showing their climate action, also let us know. And if you know of people that can restore or protect forests, also let us know. I forget, are you talking all about how you are capitalized? Not yet. We did a race around that we haven't talked about publicly yet. You're one of the investors. And then we had other amazing... Oh, man, I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, I took your wallet and I took money out of you. And then we have other awesome investors like Chris Saka and Paul Graham, who I can say that because they said it on Twitter. (laughs) So, (laughs) But we're going to announce it at some point soon. Fortunately, we got great support from amazing people in Silicon Valley. So, yeah. If you weren't focused on Pachama... What else do you think are the high leverage things that one could do in the climate fight? And what would you be doing if it wasn't Pachama and you were focused on this problem? Definitely what we eat, I think, is a big part of the problem and the solution. So thinking of more ways of moving out of meat. And I'm Argentinian. Meat is a big part of our culture. And I became vegetarian as part of this journey. And I'm happy. I'm a happy Argentinian who eats plants now trying to think of more replacement for meat, more ways to get people out of meat, I think is a great opportunity. The book Drawdown has a lot of unexpected solutions or problems that can be solved. The way that we air condition our buildings, the way that we build cities, you know, cement, I didn't know that had such a big impact on carbon emissions. I think as a a humanity, we're going to have to shift our ways of living significantly. And not necessarily sacrificing happiness. In fact, I think we can go to a happier way of living with a lower footprint. So I think there are many companies to be built around this change of lifestyle that is going to happen in the next few decades. One question I forgot to ask you from a pajama standpoint is just how important is policy and where does that fit into the equation? I think policy is super important. I just saw this morning a news that I tweeted that California approved and endorsed the inclusion of tropical forest carbon credits in the California cap and trade market. And that's great news for us and for the world. And that's a policy decision. And they could have gone into the other direction, right? The European Union is showing great commitment after the Paris Agreement, implementing more regulations for companies, either through carbon markets or carbon taxes. And uh, I think we need more of that, definitely. I mean, a lot of things that were big societal changes, they came from a moral place, but then they became law. Our rule, slavery. We outruled torture. We outruled a lot of things that we didn't want anymore in society. And I think with carbon emissions, we should also have a policy stand. That's an important front too. Bouncing around a bit, but is venture capital a good fit for climate innovation on the whole? Look, venture capital wants exponential results. And what is more exponential than solving climate change? What solution is of larger impact than solving the biggest problem that humanity faces in the 21st century? So yes, I think it's absolutely a fit for venture capital. Definitely the solutions have to be scalable. The solutions have to be really with the potential of having a big impact. And then there are other things that, you know, venture capitalists look like defensibility, 
and unique value proposition, a go-to-market that can actually scale in the time frame that they want. They generally need to return their capital within seven years. So there are certain things that are stretches, but I think definitely there will be many venture scale companies from this opportunity. So I'm going to push you on that a bit. I think that you guys are a good fit for venture capital. And so I think to the extent that you can find companies that can scale in the venture capital timeframes, that can do so capital efficiently and without a ton of science risk, then that's a good fit for venture capital. It seems that the companies that fit that profile, if you look at the ones that can actually be a big lever on decarbonization, are the exception rather than the rule. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? I disagree. I think if you look at companies like SpaceX and Tesla, these are companies that at first sight, they wouldn't look like venture capital. And they were one of the best venture investments by Founders Fund and by you know Valor Capital and other venture investors that invest in them as a rocket company. So... I do think that a lot of these science projects, air capture and other very hardware-heavy solutions to climate change, if they actually have the potential to take several gigatons of CO2 from the atmosphere, they could create venture-scale returns. So yes, that doesn't mean that we only need venture capital. I think we also need more government funding. We need more philanthropic funding. We need more impact investing. We need more every source of financing. In fact, I think that if we were intelligent species, we'll put all the financing that we have available into solutions to climate change because it's a, an existential threat to humanity. Clearly, we're not an intelligent species, or at least not as intelligent as we think we are. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> One other question just that I've been noodling on that I'd love your input on, which is just that given that a lot of these climate-focused businesses rely on policy or have a heavy regulatory bent in some way, do you think that the investment community in this area should be exploring getting more involved on that side of the house? Advocacy, maybe even lobbying. Yeah. In other areas, we saw how companies, again, Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, had a big regulatory and policy implications on their operations. And they started bringing on board people that studied regulations, that influence regulations. Every time that new technologies come along, uh, regulations are impacted. The car had to create new regulations, right? So I think that, uh, yes, the investment and the entrepreneurial community should get to talk to the policy guys. Two last questions. So one, it's like my stock question. Maybe I should think of new questions now because people are going to start prepping in advance for it. But if you had $100 billion, you could put it towards anything. So now we're not talking about you and your passion and what gives you energy and all that. We're just talking about like cash that can have an impact on the climate fight. Where would you put it? How would you allocate it? I'll definitely put it on forest and on natural-based solutions. Not necessarily in Pachama, but I will buy forest. In fact, you know, at some point, Jeff Bezos sent a tweet saying, I want to put a couple of billion dollars to philanthropy. What should I do? And I responded to him, buy forest and buy forest in Amazon because you've been using the name of Amazon, right? <laughs> so I do think that, yeah, buying forest, protecting forest, restoring forest is an amazing solution. Oceans as well, by the way, you know, and that's something that hopefully at some point we're going to get. Oceans, ocean forest and coral reefs also capture carbon. And if we could restore that part of nature, also can have a positive impact uh, of magnitude and climate. And last question, which is just for anyone out there listening who is maybe either at the beginning of their journey or thinking of going on a journey, but kind of feeling like how 
you and I are feeling, what advice do you have for them in terms of how to navigate and find their way? Again, are you gonna come back to the same answer? Go to the forest. I do think that going and reconnecting with nature and your nature is a way to find a mental space to find the solutions to this type of problems. So go for a walk in nature or go for a retreat in nature. That will be a, a spiritual start point. And then from an intellectual place, read books, talk to experts, reach out to experts. They are surprisingly open and welcoming and just start tinkering, start putting together ideas and pivot on those ideas before writing a line of code or you know doing anything just by talking to you know about your ideas with people. That's what I did, by the way, also. I started putting together mini Google Docs in which I'll make like a business plan. And then I'll send it to people and say like, what do you think of this? And then they'll tell me, oh, it has this problem and it has this other problem. And I pivoted several times before even having a co-founder. For anyone listening that can't actually see, I just want to give a plug that there are books all over this place and that the Pachama headquarters is located right near the Golden Gate Park, which is like a forest in the city. So so Diego is not just giving you this advice. He, he eats his own dog food, folks. And by the way, the Golden Gate Park, little story if we have time, that park is an afforestation project, meaning that that park was actually a deserted area with uh, sand dunes. And at some point, a group of humans here in San Francisco said, we should have a forest in the city, like the Central Park in New York. And then they built two windmills. They started extracting water from the ground and started planting trees. And I invite you to walk through a park because it's an amazing forest with giant redwood trees and eucalyptus trees. It's been built by men. So to me, it's a success story of how we can a forest and reforest the planet. Maybe I'll go put my running clothes back on and grab my suitcase and go for a run in the park with my suitcase on the way home. But Diego, thank you. This was awesome. I'm psyched to meet you in person as well. Likewise, keep up the good work with this podcast. Been a great guest. Thank you. Hey everyone, Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note, that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.